Hi, I'm Dr. Marcus Minninger, and I teach New Testament here at Mid-America. I'm going to do a video here on uh, interpretation of the Pauline epistles. This class too, like the other exegesis classes, is paired with a preaching class. I described that at the beginning of the, the prior video on the Gospels and Acts. But you do interpretation of the Pauline epistles. Uh, students, like in any of these classes, these paired classes, they'll write an exegesis paper on something in Pauline epistles, uh, a passage, and then for the other class, they'll preach on that same passage and preach in class, get feedback from their fellow students, feedback from me, and then I give a pretty significant written feedback to students too um, when they uh, do those sermons for those classes. Um, I'll focus here mainly on the Pauline interpretation class um, as in terms of what I describe. Uh, one of the fun things about this class is it's the only exegesis class that focuses entirely on the writings of one person. So it is a, a corpus of writing in, in that sense of uh, all by one author, the Apostle Paul. Um, the other classes throughout the curriculum, just by the nature of the case, have uh, more diverse authorship um, in the uh, books that they cover. And that has its own value, but here we really get to drill down into the thinking, the mindset, uh, the theological understanding of one person, uh, really in some ways the most influential person uh, in the church other than Jesus Christ, which is the Apostle Paul, given the number of things that he wrote and the key um, role that the Holy Spirit, uh, the Lord, gave him to play in the um, beginnings and extension of the Gentile mission of the church and the theology that relates to that. We uh, do several things in this class. Uh, we look at um, approaches to Paul's writings and his theology first. So what are some of the major uh, scholarly approaches to that uh, so that students understand some of the history of Pauline studies, uh, not just for its own sake, but because um, that's what all of the commentaries on Paul and all the books about his theology emerge out of, uh, different historical trends, um, stages along the way where people conceived of Paul's thinking this way or that way or the other way. Um, we especially are doing modern views, so we begin with some of the Reformation views, uh, Lutheran views that focus mainly on justification or uh, Calvinist views that especially kind of tend to focus on justification and sanctification paired together. We walk forward to think about uh, more recent Reformed views that emphasize uh, Gerhardus Voss, Hermann Ritterboss, uh, Dick Gaffin, others. Uh, emphasize the eschatological nature of Paul's message, that eschatology is really the kind of uh, key thing that uh, overarches everything else, uh, particularly the the now and the not yet of the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, what happened in his life, death, and resurrection, ascension, outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the one hand, what will happen uh, at the end of time in his return, uh, and how the entire era that we live in now, that Paul lived in, that Paul wrote in, is uh, eschatological in the sense that some full, final, ultimate things have already come about. Again, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, the, the glorification of Jesus Christ. Christ is the only man who already lives in the ultimate uh, life of the age to come, what we associate with the age to come. Um, he is glorified. He is ascended into heaven uh, he is transformed in his body and his person. So he lives in what is for us the life of the age to come. That means that some final things already exist, and this is crucial for Paul's uh, theology as 
Voss, Ritter, Boss, and Gaffin, and others uh, help explain. So we look at that. We also look at other uh, modern approaches, say the new perspective and other sociological approaches, um, apocalyptic approaches, uh, the Paul within Judaism school of thought. Uh, we try to see in each case, what are they onto? Uh, what do they see that could be valuable and otherwise overlooked if we ignore them? We also try to see what are the limitations of, of each of the approaches, the reformed approaches as well as the non-reformed approaches, and um, have a, a well-constructed um, approach of our own that's uh, somewhat eclectic, but of course thoroughly reformed. A lot of the class then, after we look at approaches, is sort of directly looking at the Pauline epistles. Uh, one of the things that we try to do is uh, see what's at the core of Paul's thought, and so we spend a good bit of time looking at the two-age construction, as it's sometimes been called. Uh, in other words, Paul's view of redemptive history as existing in two ages, this age and the age to come, and how, as I intimated before, the age to come, which Old Testament authors um, associated with the final end of history and God's judgment of all things, that age to come has already um, begun to exist in Christ. So that this age and the age to come actually overlap in time since the coming of Christ. This is the way Paul views history. It's very crucial to his um, thinking and writing. And so we look carefully at some of the uh, attributes of that two-age way of thinking, uh, that the ages are consecutive, they're comprehensive, they have these great contrasts built between them that are that are crucial, crucial for Paul's understanding of both the now and the not yet, what it is that we already have and experience in Christ by the Holy Spirit, what it is that we await in the future since the Holy Spirit in us is only the first fruits of the work of Christ in us, awaiting the final uh, full harvest of the resurrection. We look at um, the conflicting powers at work in both ages, uh, the different economies that uh, each of those ages uh, are characterized by, um, the religious dispositions of those who are sons of this age, as Paul will say, or um, uh, those who are think according to this age, according to the flesh, etc., uh, versus those who think according to the spirit, the confl conflicting uh, epistemologies, the epistemic antithesis. You can see there's tons and tons of detail here, right? Um, and so uh, come take the class because it's a lot of fun. Uh, but then we also uh, want to kind of dial down, having done an overview, we look at one particular book. Most recently, we've looked at 1 Corinthians um, as a case study. So how does Paul's uh, theological system, as we might call it, his his whole perspective on Christ, the work of Christ and theology, uh, how does that get instantiated into one book? Because all 13 of his epistles are different from each other. And we need to read each of them with a literary sensitivity to uh, how they're different. What are their distinctives? What is he saying in 1 Corinthians that he's not saying in Galatians or Romans or elsewhere? Uh, how can we get the max out of each one of those? So we drill down and look uh, carefully at one book together uh, as a kind of a how-to in a sense or a, a for instance. So uh, here's what Paul thinks in general, but, but here's how he applies that to the circumstances, the problems, the situations, and his own rhetorical goals for the Corinthians in this one letter. The Apostle Paul is a very dynamic writer. Uh, he's heavily misunderstood. And uh, so this is really a, a very key class in the curriculum for that uh, reason. Um, a lot of uh, core reformational doctrines proceed, especially out of the Apostle Paul's writings. And uh, so we want to understand uh, everything that's there as best we can. 
Um, it's uh, part of the heart of our New Testament curriculum, I would say, although I like each of the classes, so uh, maybe one of my favorites, though. <laughs>